Over the last couple of weeks, we've been working through the book of Ecclesiastes. Amazing how many people say it's their favourite book of the Bible for such a depressing book. My goodness, what is wrong with you all? It's not going to get any better today. The teacher, Koheleth, he examines all of life. What does he declare that life is? Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He observes the cycles of life. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. The seasons come, the seasons go. Things are born, things die. And in this cycle of life that is just endless, almost monotonous in the way in which he describes it, he says that life, therefore, is meaningless. He looks at death. Death comes to us all. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, wise or a fool, human or an animal, death comes to us all. And so, therefore, death makes all of life utterly meaningless. But there's a third thing that the teacher speaks about that makes life meaningless, that causes life to be meaningless. And, and of these three things, this is perhaps the one he is most passionate about as you read what he writes. It's injustice. It's the, the chance, the tragedy that just happens in life, the oppression that happens where the powerful and the rich have influence over the poor and the powerless. And perhaps why injustice and tragedy and oppression is so passionate for him and so deeply linked to his declaration that life is meaningless is because for him it's this sense of then, well, why would we even bother trying to do life right? If there is injustice, if there is oppression, if there is just this sense of unfairness throughout the world, that things just happen to good people, bad people, it doesn't matter what you do, then why would you even bother trying to live in accordance with God's law? You understand that? What difference does it make? And he comes back to this over and over and over again through the book of Ecclesiastes. In the middle of the book, this is just a nice little summary of the unfairness that he observes. He says, In this meaningless life of mine I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness, and the wicked living long in their wickedness. So why bother? Now, Ecclesiastes is not the only wisdom book that asks this question. Any ideas what the other wisdom book is that asks this question? The book of Job. I think you whispered it around there a bit. Uh, you may know the story that is written in the book of Job. He was a blameless, righteous, God-fearing man. But he suffered intensely. An incredible series of tragedies. And we know as readers of the story that it was completely undeserved. It just, well, you can't say it just happened because there was a God-ordained aspect to it, but there was no reason for God to bring these tragedies upon him at all. And the unfairness of what happens to Job causes him to question not only why he bothered to do the right thing, why he bothered to be a righteous man, but it leads him to such a sense of meaninglessness that... In chapter 3, he wishes he'd never been born. And chapter 3 is just this intensely depressing expression of grief to the point that he wished he had never been born. This is what Job writes. He says, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. I bring in Job because this passage has parallels to the first reading that we're going to do this morning. 
You hear this intensity of the anguish and the despair that can come from experiencing injustice. The intensity and the despair that comes from experiencing oppression or just the unfairness of life. But you will be pleased to know that there is a second passage from Ecclesiastes which at least gives us a glimmer of hope. We're looking at Ecclesiastes 4, 1-3. Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I decided that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has not yet been born, who has not seen the end and the evil that is done under the sun. And now we're looking at Ecclesiastes 8, 10 to 15. Then too, I saw the wicked buried. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, People's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet, because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for people under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. So the teacher complains. He complains that people are not rewarded or punished according to their deeds. He observes in that passage from chapter 8 that the wicked are honoured both in life as they go to the temple and at their burial, while the righteous are treated with contempt during their life and are forgotten about in their death. And Kohaleth says that's not fair. That's not right. It's not good. And there's a number of reasons why it's not good. It's not good, firstly, because people get away with doing evil. We know that that's not just right. You should not just get away with evil. And secondly, because they get away with it, it encourages others to be evil. You know, this sense of, well, oh well, if they can and get away with it, so will I. We would still hold the same today. The justice must be done. Justice should be done, but not only should it be done, but it must be seen to be done. Because if it's not, it just encourages people to do evil. 
And Coalith goes, well, maybe at some stage they'll be punished for their sins, but that's evil in itself because he makes the point that not only should justice be seen to be done, but it also should be done quickly. Like if you give someone, oh, well, you'll be punished when you die, what good is that? They're going to go, well, I'm going to be dead, so who cares? He says, no, it must be carried out quickly. Otherwise, again, it encourages people toward evil. But there's another reason, a third reason, why Coaleth complains that people are not rewarded or punished according to their deeds. And that is this, that by getting away with it, there is no justice for the victims. That those who are oppressed, those who are treated unfairly, those who are, in a sense, the victims of evil, they receive no comfort, they receive no justice. And the passage in chapter 4, I don't know if you noticed it, that not only was there oppression, but the sadness that comes from the teacher's writings was what? Did you pick that up? There was no one there to comfort them. There was a sense that in their oppression, in the evil that afflicted people, in the unfairness of life, they did it alone. And there was no one to comfort them. But you may have noticed as well that along with the teacher's complaint, did you also pick up the words of faith? Did you hear the contradiction as it was being read out? That there's this complaint about evil and injustice and the unfairness of life. And yet he comes out with these declarations. Uh, The teacher actually refuses to abandon his vision of a just God. That this is a God of justice and the wicked will be punished and the righteous will be rewarded. I believe this to be true, he says. That a distinction between good and evil will be made even though he can't understand when and how that's going to happen. And what the teacher does in these passages and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and and this is consistent throughout the book, he holds intention. On the one hand, his belief in God as sovereign and just, he holds that intention with the reality of what he observes. And that's not an easy thing to do, but he doesn't. He holds these two contradicting things in tension what he believes to be true, what he knows to be true about God, but what he observes about the world. And what the teacher does in light of this and in this tension is he calls for us, calls for the readers to be reverent and to submit to God who operates on his own agenda, not ours. And the other thing that the teacher does throughout this book, and he does it in a number of places, and I think particularly striking when it comes to injustice and unfairness, he dismisses the simplistic assertions that was often made and continue to be made, these simplistic assertions that there is a way of living life that will guarantee you a good life, a prosperous life, a happy life, a pain-free life. He dismisses those as simplistic and simply wrong. One of the reasons I started with just that passage about Job's anguish. Remember a few minutes ago, just this sense of I wish I had never been born. Job had three friends and they were friends. They came and sat with him for seven days and then they opened their mouths and started to give him the traditional wisdom of the day, the simplistic assertions that this is the way life works. And the first friend, and this comes straight after, Job has poured out, this is how I feel, I would rather be dead. His friend says this to him. This is the wisdom he has offered. Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil 
and those who sow trouble reap it. It's not the kind of person you want on your pastoral team, is it? (laughs) Come forward for a prayer ministry, you pour out your heart, and what do you get? Well, obviously there's some sin in your life you must confess now before God will do anything. And God will continue to punish you and bring trouble onto your life until you confess your sin. See, the simplistic assertions that were so common and continue through to today, that if something bad is happening to you, then obviously God is punishing you for your evil. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes works so strongly against these simplistic assertions, which is why when you read the book, you kind of go, what's he saying? On the one hand, he's saying God is good and God is just and, and God will bring about good for people. And on the other hand, he's saying Life is terrible. We can't rely on God to to just make life good. And he holds these two things in tension. The reason being is to dismiss the simplistic assertions, the simplistic wisdom that all good people will have a good life. And as I mentioned in the very first week, instead the, the teacher says we need to accept that life is messy. We need to accept that life is in many ways contradictory And we need to live in that tension, taking and enjoying life in all its mystery. The unfairness of life and the injustice we observe as Christians remains troubling for us, yes? Do we not have questions like the teacher did? Injustice causes us to doubt the justice of God. Suffering can cause us to question the love of God. And both injustice and suffering can cause us to doubt his sovereignty. There are two responses that as Christians we often make or traditionally have made. The first is, and you would have heard these and perhaps used these to explain the existence of injustice and evil and suffering, but the first response that we as Christians often make is that God has given us freedom to go against his will. Therefore, injustice is not God's fault, but ours. Now, there's truth in that, isn't there? God has given us free will and a lot of what we experience in terms of injustice and unfairness is our fault, not God's. And yet if we were to argue with the teacher, Koaleth, and say, well, this is why bad things, unfairness happens, the teacher would argue back and say, well, no, I understand what you're saying, but this is a sovereign God we're talking about and he cannot be excused from maintaining justice. And we also need to remember that there is a reality that some things just happen. It's not our fault. It's not anyone's fault. And the the teacher writes in chapter 9 that time and chance happen to us all. The second Christian response is that God, who in Jesus Christ shared in our humanity, understands the depths of our despair. And again, that's true, isn't it? In Jesus Christ, we understand that God knows everything that we experience. He has sympathy, he has empathy with life on this world. And again, there's truth in that, but it does not yet solve the contradiction. And if the teacher was told that, he would say, well, yes, but does God's empathy excuse him from maintaining justice? Because this, this is the key thing for Koaleth. I believe in a God who is just and who is good, but why? Why do I observe so much oppression and injustice? I started a couple of weeks ago in this series by saying that Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books. 
It is not history, but it is a reflection on life. And it aims to provide the readers, including us, with wisdom for living. And we've been unpacking those these last three weeks about the perspective that we take on life. Uh, And I encourage you, if you haven't heard any of the last three, go online, have a listen to them, uh, because I'm not going to cover everything. I just want to make two further points this morning about what we can draw out of the book of Ecclesiastes, and particularly when it comes to to this question of unfairness and injustice and and oppression. First one is this. The book of Ecclesiastes calls us to hold on to the contradictions and the tensions in life. The book of Ecclesiastes calls us to hold on to the tensions and the contradictions in life, but to do so with faith and trust in God. And that's really important. We observe the contradictions, the tensions. We don't try and dismiss them. We don't create simplistic reasons for it or answers for it. We hold on to them, but we do so with faith and with trust. What I want to say is that there may well be a reason for why something unfair or unjust has happened. There may well be a reason for it. But don't assume that you know why. You may think you know why, but don't assume, don't presume, don't be so arrogant to assume that you know the reason why unfairness or injustice or oppression is happening in someone's life. The message, not only Ecclesiastes, but also Job and also the Gospels, is that we need to be careful not to be like Job's friends, who thought that they knew why Job had suffered. And at the end of the book of Job, God says that nothing that his friends said was correct. Nothing that they said was correct. I love that. Nothing at all. We quote some of his friends' statements as though it's gospel truth. And God says, no, 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 that's not correct. They didn't know. And Job never found out. Why? When we read the Gospels, we need to be aware that we're not like Jesus' disciples when they come across a blind man. And what do they say? Do you remember? Why is this man blind? Who sinned? Who were the main culprits? Either him or his parents, right? That's why there's problems with you. If it's not your fault, it's your parents, isn't it? Right? Again, these simplistic answers. You see, there is a complexity to life that is beyond us. And we're called to live with faith and trust in the midst of it. Not to try and simplify it, not to try and give pat answers, but to live in the midst of it with faith and trust. And I just want to make this point because I think it's a really important one. The good news that we preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach, is not that people get what they deserve. You understand that, right? The gospel is not a gospel that people get what they deserve. And is there an amen to that? Because I don't want to get what I deserve. The gospel that we preach and the gospel of Jesus Christ is that grace is given to all who believe. God is not fair. He is gracious. Love and justice do come together. And they come together at the cross where a completely innocent man took upon himself my sin. The book of Ecclesiastes pushes us towards grace. The book of Ecclesiastes pushes us away from a gospel that says the good people are the people that God loves and God blesses and the bad people are the ones whom bad things happen to. Ecclesiastes pushes us away from that and calls us to embrace all of life with all of its complexity and all of the tensions and all the contradictions And it calls us to be a people of grace who press into the complexity and the tension of life and do so with faith and trust. God's love and his justice is not measured by the comfort in which I live life. 
His love is present in all circumstances. We know this to be true, even when life is difficult and when life is unfair. And because of Jesus Christ, as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we see beyond what the teacher could see. And we're able to see beyond our circumstances. And we are able to see into an eternity that is ours, a hope that we have that heaven is our home. I love what Paul writes, such a well-known passage. He writes in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's just bizarre, isn't it? You know, we are so much part of a culture that glories in success, that glories in wealth, that glories in celebrity status. And Paul writes, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We're called to hold on to the contradictions and tensions in life with faith and trust in God. And secondly, we're called to love and compassion. We know this from the message of Jesus, don't we? We are called to be a people of love and compassion. And just going back to that passage from Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, just this depression, this blackness. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. A few verses later in verse 9 it says this, two are better than one. This is not a wedding passage, let me tell you. It's great for a wedding. This has nothing to do with weddings. Two are better than one. It has everything to do with not being alone with actually not having a comfort. I'll read it. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Jesus stood with the oppressed, those who were treated unfairly in life. When we read the Gospels, we saw that Jesus stood and was with the least and the lost and the last and the little. And we today have so many opportunities to do so as well, to actually stand with those facing oppression, with those for whom life is unfair. Kathy and I are supporters of a number of organisations. One of them is Open Doors that you're probably aware of. I love just this little three-word phrase that they use when it comes to what can we do for the persecuted church? Does anybody know what those three words are? Stand with them. I love that. What can we do for the persecuted church? We can stand with them. We can pray for them. But just that phrase, stand with them. Barnabas Fund, much the same when it comes to the persecuted church. Be with them, comfort them. But the poor, the powerless, throughout our world, it's so easy to stand with them. It's so easy to pray for, to give toward. Organisations that our church has supported, such as Baptist World Aid, does that. It brings comfort to those who... Think about it. What's the difference between me being born in New Zealand and a child being born in Kosoro in Uganda. It makes the world of difference simply where you're born. And how dare we 
place any judgment on those who were born in a completely different context from us, with no education, with no resource, with no infrastructure, with no stable governments. There is something that is inherently unfair as to where we are born. We are called to love and compassion. Too often, I think, we look down on those who have been dealt an unfair hand in life or find themselves struggling. Perhaps it's out of our own sense of guilt, what we have and what they don't have. But too often, we look down with judgment. We see them as weak or we see them as making bad decisions. You know, there's a reason why they're poor. They have too many children. Or there's a reason why they're poor. They just don't elect good politicians. As if they have... In some countries, even the hope of doing that. We can't even... No, I won't say that in Australia. <laughs> you know what I mean. And perhaps there's partial truth in that. But we're not called to look down on. We're not called to pass judgment on. We are called to be people of love and compassion. People need comfort, not judgment. They need someone to stand with them, not judge them. I don't understand the unfairness of life. As someone who has not struggled with mental illness, my role is to reach out with love and compassion to those who do, not to judge them as being weak in any way. For someone who has been born in a a country where I've received education and every opportunity in the world, my role is not to look down on those who have not been born in contexts where they've had that opportunity. My call is to love and to comfort. Ecclesiastes calls us to these two things, to embrace the complexity of life with faith and with trust and also with love and compassion. Can we stand? Because I'd just love to pray for us. And Father, firstly, Lord, for those who perhaps here today, life has been unfair, that there are things that have happened to them which were undeserved, unjustified, deeply hurtful. Father, I just want to pray that this morning that they would know your love and your compassion, that they would never have a sense that that what has happened to them has been because of your judgment or your anger, your wrath towards them. But Father, that they would this morning know that they are loved and accepted for who they are. And because of their faith in Jesus Christ, your grace is poured into their lives in equal measure to any of us for whom life has been so much easier. Lord, for those who have despaired with physical health or with mental health and wondered why, why, why me, Lord, I pray again that they would have a very strong sense of your love and your comfort this morning. And Lord, may they also find that love and comfort from your people. And Father, for those of us who sometimes look at the world and just get overwhelmed with the injustice that is directed towards our Christian brothers and sisters, towards the the poor and the vulnerable and perhaps the, the young girls in poverty who get traded as sex slaves, Lord, for just the overwhelming injustice and oppression that we observe. Father, again, lead us not to despair, but call us to faith and trust in you and call us also to be those who stand with them, who stand with the oppressed, who pray for them, who support them in whatever way we can, who stand with the, with the poor and the most vulnerable, pray for them and comfort them as we can. Father, I pray that increasingly by the work of your Holy Spirit, you would make us like Jesus Christ, who above all shows us how to do life with faith and with trust 
and with a deep love and compassion for all people. And Father, when we do this, we bring you so much glory. Amen.